Yeah. There you have it. That that was dope. The zebra. Give it up for dope, everyone. Yeah. Pretty rocking. Um, just so you know, uh, he has absolutely nothing to do with the talk. Um, totally unrelated and, un- and irrelevant. Um, but that's all right. Let's let's move on. Um, no, actually, I do want to play that for a reason because how much do you hate irrelevant things? Things that just don't mean anything. I remember. Check, check this out. I remember when I was in year 12 and I did extension 2 maths, all right? And uh, we started learning, some of you know this experience, we started learning about imaginary numbers. And I'm just going, what the heck? They don't even exist. They're imaginary. Why are we learning about these things in maths? It was stupid. Or, um, or, or imagine this, the time where I was in legal studies and our teacher, Miss Brummel, was like, all right, today... We're going to be talking about where an alien would go to court if they came to earth and committed a crime. <laughs> this is your 12 people. What is it? it I, hate, I hate that stuff. And I, I, reckon, I reckon there's a bunch of people who, are, who think similarly when it comes to things about God. They're like, learn about God. What the heck? Or um, what, like, why would you bother going to youth or hear a talk from the Bible? What does that have anything to do with me? It was written thousands of years ago. Like, how, how could it relate to me at all? Well, it actually has everything to do with you. It, it talks about things and gives answers to the questions that should mean everything to us. Because these answers have such a big impact on our lives. Take, for example, the question, what happens after you die? There's different answers that people give to that question that, if true, should impact our lives heaps. Or... Um, you know, there's, heap, there's heaps of different questions like this, but the bit of the Bible that we're looking at asks a question that, that's like that. It's one of those massive questions. Um, and it's actually a question that we've been asking in a survey for a couple of weeks. Uh, what is wrong with the world? I don't know if you asked someone that question or if you got asked that question or anything like that. Um, but it's a big question because this world is broken. And that's pretty obvious. All right, there, um, uh, there's murder, there's pollution, there's war, there's rape. And that's just last night's news. Uh, it, it, it's ridiculous. Um, and it's not just these big things either. It's also lots of small things. People are constantly hurting me and it sucks. I hate it. I'm sure you feel it as well. Um, there's something seriously wrong with the world. And until we work out what it is, we can't fix it. Um, you know what the Bible says the problem is? We are. We're the problem. When, when God looks at the world and thinks, what, what is wrong here? Who, who are we to blame? He doesn't go, oh, those damn dolphins starting wars all the time, being slack, they're mean as they say. Nah, he, it's us. The world is stuffed up because we've stuffed up. It's our selfish behavior. We've done the wrong thing and stopped listening to God. And that's where the problem is. It's called sin, rejecting God. Now, how disappointed must he be with you, with me? We've ruined everything. Our sin is the problem and we need it fixed. Now, this has everything to do with us because in a moment we're going to see how God reacts to sin, to, to the way that people, to the way that you have been treating him. And we're going to see that, it, that he's not happy because you see, God deals seriously with sin. 
Let's have a look at how it plays out in the life of one dude. He's the guy that wrote the psalm that was read before by Max. His name's King David. You know that massive statue of a naked guy? I don't know why you do that, but <laughs> <Good on ya. laughs> that's uh, that's King. Da- it's hard though, isn't it? It's it's just there. Anyway, he was this hectic warrior king, right? He um he's out defeating armies, destroying cities. He's this hecker's dude, and um he was the man. He was rolling around in Israel about three thousand years ago, so a little bit of time ago. Um, but he's stuffed up and he's freaking out. He's done something dog, and now he's hating it. And, and so Psalm 51, which is what we read, is a song that he wrote when he realized how God was going to react, when he understood how seriously God deals with sin. Look at the very start, verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God. He's asking God to forgive him for what he's done. Or verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, he's done the dirty and he's feeling guilty. But, but it's more than just feeling guilty. He, he's freaking out here. He, he, the, the amount that he's asking God to forgive him show, shows that he's really worried about something. I, I counted through, and there's about 12 times in the one song where he, in different words, asks God to forgive him. And the reason he's freaking out is because he realizes that stuff's about to get real. God is taking his sin seriously. He's about to face the consequences of what he's done, and he's freaking out because God's going to punish him. And, and he's pleading with God not to punish him. Now, just so, you're all, so we're all on the same page, what, what is it that he's done? What, what's so bad? Well, get your head into it. David's army is off fighting a war, okay? He's decided to stay home, just chilling out, all right? And uh, one evening, he decides to get up, go for a little stroll on his palace roof, check out his kingdom, all Simba style. Um. When out of the corner of his eye, he notices something, and it's this chick having a bath. Now, I don't know what she's doing to have a bath, if it's outside or whatnot. It might be down by the river, doing old school. I don't know what's going on with that. But he sees her having a bath. His heart starts beating a bit quicker, gets a bit excited, and he's like, who is that chick? Finds out who she is. Her name's Bathsheba, which is kind of fitting because she's taking a bath, and her name's Bathsheba. <laughs> but I don't I, 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 Anyway, but she, she's the wife of one of David's best soldiers, right? And, um, and here comes mistake, mistake number one. David takes her, he sleeps with her, and he gets her pregnant. But he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. That, you know, that's bad enough. But then he's like, crap, what do I do? He decides to lie about it and try to, try to cover it up. So he calls Uriah back from the war. He's like, sweet, let's get him back. And he's thinking, all right, if Uriah's here, he'll go and sleep with that. It'll look like he's his baby. It's all okay. <sighs> nothing, nothing wrong there. Only problem was Uriah gets back and his buddies are out at the war. He can't think of anything worse than enjoying his own bed and, and, and being able to sleep with his wife. He's like, I can't do that while my buddies are out at war. So he goes and sleeps on David's veranda. And David's like, what? Are you for real? And so he, 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 he tries to, he gets him to stay for another night, tries to get him drunk, but Uriah still won't do it. He sleeps on his veranda again. So David slept with another man's wife, and then he tries to lie about it to protect himself. But if that wasn't enough, <laughs> he just does, he, he goes one step further. He sends Uriah back to the war, with this secret note to the general 
to say, get up nice and close, get Uriah right in the middle where it's going to be the craziest battle, and then just pull the army back so that Uriah happens to get killed. And that's what happens. Uriah dies. All of a sudden, Bathsheba's single. David swoops in and marries her. So it's okay if she has his baby now. Yeah. This is some bad stuff. David the king sleeps with some dude's wife, and then while her husband um, is off fighting, like while her husband is off fighting for him, and then he tries to lie about it, and then ends up effectively murdering him, so that everything can look alright. Now that's what he's done, uh, and for those of you who aren't Jews, the Jewish law for this, if you committed adultery like that. You, you deserve to be stoned to death. And same with, um, same with murder. It, was, it had the death penalty. So you can understand why David might be freaking out. He deserves to die. But in this song of his, that's not what he's freaking out about. He's not asking God to save him from death. He's asking God to save him from something much worse. He doesn't want God to punish him. Verse 11, have a look at it. It says... Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? Getting thrown out of God's presence. It doesn't sound as bad as getting stoned to death. But have a think for a second about what that actually means. To get thrown out of God's presence or or to get separated from Him. Every good thing comes from God. He created all good things. So the first thing to go... The first thing you lose by being separated in is every good thing ever. No more happiness, no more comfort, no more warm sunshine, no more tasty flavors, no more friends or family, no more love. All gone. And you can't just get them back. They're gone forever. And not only do you lose everything that is good, But you also lose God, who's better than all those things put together. You lose the opportunity to be in relationship with Him, totally loved and cared for by Him, as He continues to give you good things forever. And instead of that, it gets replaced by God's punishment. Now, the Bible doesn't heaps outline how God punishes people, but it does use a picture of what it'd be like. It says, it'd be like sitting in this fire that never goes out. You just get burnt. And then your burns get burnt. And then your burns burn, and and so on. And there's no cold tap of water just sitting there to to get released. Now, I don't know if you've ever been burnt, but it hurts. It hurts. I hate when I get burnt and the pain is just around for an hour. It stings and it sucks. It's it's, it's, it's terrible. And this this never-ending burning is just a picture of how bad it would be. This is hell. And that's why David's freaking out. He's just realized that God takes sin seriously and that God will punish him. And that's not something he's looking forward to at all. Hold on for a second. Isn't God overreacting a little bit here? Like any One Direction fan? Uh, um, no, God, God's not overreacting because sin 
is against God. Adultery, murder, lying, as bad as they are, they're not David's biggest problems. There's something much worse going on here, and David's, David's realized it. He's done the wrong thing by God. Have a look at verse 4, if you have your Bibles there. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. Now, David knows that he's done the wrong thing to Bathsheba, done the wrong thing to Uriah, and probably a whole lot of others in the mix. But none of that, as, as bad as it is, even compares to, what, to, to the way that David has treated God. God has given David so much, and yet in light of all that, David just spits in his face. He, he made David. He, he gave him life. He gave him love. He gave him so many good things, and he disregarded God and, and, and what God wants for him. He rejects, he rejects God, and that's what sin is, rejecting God. Whenever we make decisions or, or do or say or, or think things that are different to what God wants, we're effectively just giving God the finger. And that's not on. And you know what? The Bible says it's all of us. We all sin. We all reject God. We, we might not commit adultery or murder, but we do a whole range of other things to show that we don't care for His rules or to show that we don't care for Him. We're all guilty of this. I'm, I'm guilty of this. You are guilty of this. Think about just your day to day. How many times have you disregarded what God wants you, wants you to do? Every day of your life, the God who made you looks at the way you treat Him and it hurts Him. It's painful. You constantly disappoint Him. And even when He gives you good things, you use those things against Him or in a way that He just hates. And, and so that means you deserve God's punishment along with me, along with David. You deserve to be separated from God. You deserve to be thrown into hell forever. Now, this is heavy stuff because if it's true and it is, it means big things for all of us, facing God's punishment. But there is some hope. <laughs> there is some hope. There's a little ray of sunshine gleaming. See, David is feeling dirty because of his sin, but he's confident that God can make him clean. Look, look at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He's saying, God, if you clean me, I will be clean. Because David has a stain that he can't get rid of. It's the stain of sin. Now, for all of those who are playing at home, David's not asking for a physical bath. Right? Um, that, that could never take his sin away. Because sin comes from inside of us. You need a deeper cleansing. You need a kind of spiritual bath. And that's what David's talking about here. And he's confident that God can clean him, despite how dirty he is. Look at verse 7 again. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. God, I know I'm dirty. I, I know I'm filthy and disgusting. But if you wash me, I'll be perfectly clean. I'll be whiter than snow. That's, that's pretty clean. That's, 
That's completely clean. And that means no longer being in God's bad books. No longer being under his punishment. That's no more hell. So you can understand the desperation in, in David's song, can't you? God, please wash me or I'm done for. Or I'm done for. I, I don't know how you feel about your sin, but my sin, it makes me feel dirty, feel guilty. When, when I think about every time that I sin against God, every time that I hurt him, and I do that quite a bit, I, I feel disgusting. Feel just like David. I feel dirty. And I wish I could be clean. And that's what David pleads to God make me clean. That's all he can do. But can he really trust God to, to clean him? Can we trust God to clean us? Well, as we come to the New Testament, we find that yes, God can clean us. Because we see what God has done to clean us. He sends his own son down to earth to die so that we can be clean. Jesus' blood cleanses us. Let me read here from John chapter 1. No, 1 John chapter 1. Not to be confused with John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Here we go. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Yes, God can cleanse us from our sin because of Jesus' blood. Now, it sounds like an odd cleaning agent, blood. How can blood make something clean? Wouldn't it just make us more dirty? Or it might if we went swimming in it. Um, But that's not how it works, (laughs) thankfully. Um, You see, Jesus was perfect. He was clean. He didn't sin ever, which means he didn't have a problem with God. And so you could say that his blood was clean. And so for him to sacrifice his life means he could give us his clean blood to wash away our dirty sin. It's that kind of spiritual bath that I was talking about before. To to make us whiter than snow, to be just like him. That means no more worrying about God's punishment. No longer worrying about hell. Because we can be free from it. No more freaking out. But here's the thing. It came at a price. Jesus had to spill his blood. He had to die for us to be clean. And he offers his blood to us now. He offers it to everyone. He offers it to me. He offers it to you. But you need to accept it. He doesn't doesn't force it upon everyone. But I can't imagine why anyone would consciously let this offer go by. To be washed clean from your sin. To be guilt free. To be released from this this punishment. I don't know how anyone in their right mind could turn down this offer. And that's the offer that's before you. Do you accept and be clean? Or do you reject it and stay under God's punishment? Because... You, you do know that if you reject it, that's, that's all that's in store for you. All that stuff I was talking about hell before, that's all you've got waiting for you. There's no other way out. So how do you accept Jesus' blood? Well, you do what David did. You come before God, 
the true king and asking for mercy. God, please make me clean. I'm a dirty sinner, but please forgive me. You ask for Jesus' blood to wash you, and he'll do it. Now, there's a bunch of stuff that follows that as well, but that can come after. The thing that you need to get sorted first is, are you clean? Have you ever been cleansed? Because there's nothing more important. Now, I'm going to pray, and and if you're someone that hasn't ever asked God to be clean, uh, what I pray now is something that you might like to consider praying. So if that's you, feel free to pray along. And if it's not you, if you're to someone else that would also like to be clean, you've done already, you can just join in as well. Lord God, we come before you as dirty sinners. We recognize that our world is broken and our sin is the problem. We recognize that you hate our sin and you will Deal seriously with it. And so we come before you and ask you for mercy. Please wash us clean. Thank you for sending Jesus. And we, pl- we pray that you would have his blood wash us free, wash us clean from the sin so that we can be free.